Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be recapping the Thunder's latest contest, the new update on SGA's injury, what it's going to mean long term for this Thunder team and some potential replacements that could come out of this. And to wrap things up, I'm going to be giving you a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things off, guys, I want to talk about the Thunder's latest game against the Indiana Pacers. You get the major break. Go ahead, face Indiana here. You have really everybody loaded uh, for this Thunder roster. And then whenever you look at the Pacers as well, they weren't looking too shabby. They had Sabonis in the rotation. Karis LeVert was there for them. So, you got to see the back and forth battle that you were hoping for. One thing you will say, or you could note, you know, the Pacers aren't a spectacular team right now. Um, In the uh, rankings, you know, this was, by all means, like a tanking contest because the Pacers are in a spot now where if they lose three, four games, they're in a position for a top four, top three odd uh, come lottery time. And for the Thunder, you know, they are mounting themselves into a top three spot, but a win or two can really move them uh, out of the spot that everyone kind of envisioned them being in come the end of the season. But you end up starting this contest and you don't see a lot of separations. You end up seeing the Thunder take the first quarter 30 to 29 though. Didn't see a lot of three-pointers going in in that first quarter. Neither team shot above 30% from beyond the arc. And then you saw the second quarter kind of repeat the same of the first, where just trading blows back and forth, but you never saw that commanding one. So Oklahoma City was up three points, 54 to 51, going into halftime. And when you think of the stars that could come out of the first half, it's not the typical names. Now, Lou Dort had 11 for the Thunder. That's actually kind of part of the course. Like, Lou can erupt early. Same with Darius Baisley. He had all four of his shots going in the first half. But how about this? Justin Holiday had 10 points for the Pacers by half. Not a lot of Sabonis, which is pretty damn good considering the Thunder. They didn't really unload this top-heavy rotation. You still are looking to get Derek Favors kind of back into the motions here. So Jeremiah Robinson Earl had to play a lot of the five. Also had to look at guys such as Mamadi Diakite there. And Mike Muscala even was getting thrusted out there against Sabonis. So they did a good job in the first half, kind of limiting him. And then going into the second half, they took the defensive presence, stuck to it, but also offensively, they got on the roll that they desperately needed, had a 12-0 run, and they ended up getting their lead up to 16 points in that third quarter. Now, the Pacers, they were able to cinch that gap come the end of the third, but OKC still had their lead to about six or eight points going into the fourth. And with that run they had in the third, it looked like they were on a high horse. Didn't seem like much was going to come of that. And they were going to waltz into a lead. However, you saw an injury to SGA come in. I'll get into that later, but it took him out for the remainder of the game. 
and they had to rely on guys such as Lou Dort and Josh Giddy to close this game out. That's not a bad rotation, um, but it does kind of swerve you off from the typical game plan, which is, hey, let SGA operate in the half court, maybe set him a high ball screen, let him drive inside, and ultimately just let him play his game because SGA has taken control as the leader of this Thunder group, and he's able to make plays not just for himself, but for others when need be. So taking him out of the game, that's your X factor. Kind of gets you all jumbled up. And the Pacers were able to take advantage of that. The fourth quarter saw them roll into the lead, actually. And it kind of turned into a back and forth standoff. You saw the Pacers get a two to four point lead. Then the Thunder would actually reply, get the lead back up to five, maybe six points at some stints. And going into the final two minutes, the Thunder had the lead, and it did not look like they were going to give it up whatsoever. However, it did not shake out that way. Down the stretch, you saw Indiana really come into its own, had a major bucket from DeMontis Sabonis with under a minute remaining, four-foot put-back layup, ties it at 100, and on the other end, Kenrich Williams did not hit his shot. Saw a couple of shots attempted for the Pacers. No dice on any of those. So it went into overtime 100 all for the Thunder. That was their first overtime contest of the season. And they go up for this jump ball. And it does not go their way initially. Sabonis starts going right back to the post. He's looking like a monster. Get a 5-0 run from the Thunder to elevate themselves up 3 um, and then even you bolster it to six points with another Lou Dort three that came after uh, another shot went in, of course. But yeah, you're standing up six points, 2.30 to go. Should be good there. But then you have Jeremy Lamb, of all people, former Thunder member. He drubs out five consecutive points in under a minute time to cut it to one point. Bays, he goes on the other end, gets a pair of free throws. Sabonis comes in on the back and forth, 109-110. And then a Thunder turnover gives the Pacers a chance to take the lead in under a minute's time. And you had Aaron Holiday take advantage, puts him up a point with 41 seconds to go. And the Thunder... They just kept missing their shots, man. They had multiple attempts. Trey Mann missed two consecutive shots. Mike Muscala missed a tip shot. Both of these shots, by the way, chip shot. This Trey Mann layup should have went in. On the follow, this Mike Muscala one should have went in. This is um kind of some shoot-around stuff here, but neither of them got the bounce that they needed. Ended up in Holiday's hands, and then he was able to get to the line hit both of his foul shots, and then it turned into a game of just hacking, and it did not go the Thunder's way. So Indiana takes this one 113 to 110 in the bouts when you're looking at top performers. Had no SGA. Lou Dort had to carry a lot of weight with 27 points, 10 of 16 from the floor. It was really nice seeing him go back into that shooting role. Now he only went 3 of 9 from distance, but you have to keep in mind, he's kind of been on a cold spell as of late. Josh Giddy was nearing triple-double numbers. He got the double-double with 15 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists. 
And then off the bench, Bays sparked them with 14 points and three rebounds. But ultimately, it did not matter because DeMontis Sabonis, main guy here with 24 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. Justin Holiday with 22 points as a starter. And, you know, outside of those two, they didn't have much. Lamb was clutch in that second uh, second half, excuse me. He had 14, and then even O'Shea Brissett, G League monster in the bubble. He dropped 10, uh, but they shut down Karis LeVert to a 3 of 19 performance. He led the team in shot attempts. So for the Pacers to somehow bottle out this win was pretty damn impressive, but for the Thunder's lottery odds, I don't think uh, they're going to be too upset about taking this loss. This is a pretty pivotal one. This was not like facing the Suns where you 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 know you take the win uh, and it only hurts you in one direction. If you go ahead and defeat a team like the Pacers, it's a double-edged sword and both sides are actually going to impale you really because you're going to go up in the standings or in the reverse standings you go down, I guess. And for the Pacers, they move up, they get not the the good end of a tiebreaker which is good actually for them. Um, so it, it hurts you in multiple ways. So they dodge that bullets. They're going to play their next game tonight. I'll get a recap on that. But first, I want to talk about SGA's injury and I also want to talk about some trade prospects. Want to talk about a special offer over at DraftKings Sportsbook first, though. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. New customers can get a free shot at $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void where prohibited. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text hope and y four six seven three six nine but guys moving right along to the sga news mentioned earlier he did injure himself in that pacers game over the weekend 
had to look at the severity took about 24 hours to get the final ruling but he has been ruled out indefinitely past the trade deadline with a right ankle sprain and it looked pretty severe on the uh, the film the game uh we'll see how long it's going to take him out but under the current provisions that he's going to be gone past that point and they'll reevaluate him in mid-February it's a minimum of 10 games where you will not see him so that's a really tough break for the thunder for SGA he's been on a roll currently this season he's averaging just above 22 points per game he's still leading the team in drives and with a player like SGA it takes a lot of your cards just completely off of the table this is a thunder team that's young this is a thunder team that is prone to have mistakes and that's kind of part of the system they're so young that they can kind of take these blows and know that hey it's okay because they're in this rebuilding phase and that's why you see some guys get the minutes that they end up getting uh, but there's always been that one rock the last two seasons and it's been Shea Gilgis Alexander when he was playing last season before his injury where he had the plantar fascia tear he was looking pretty damn good for the group I mean they were hovering just around the 500 mark 16 and 19 record for them and then once he was out they just fell off a cliff they ended up finishing the year 6 and 31 only had 22 wins to show for it 22 and 50 record in all and obviously they landed with Josh Giddy in the draft lottery but those were two separate teams and I think everybody uh, can kind of realize it just the ebbs and flow of the game you got with SGA was much different when you had Teo as that point guard night in night out you didn't have kind of a bread and butter move I'd say with SGA you always have a loaded weapon full magazine he's gonna be spraying he's able to get you 30 points any night and now you do have Lou Dort who's not injured but it really is a a fatal blow um for this franchise so what I wanted to do is I just kind of wanted to address the next man up mentality that Mark Dagnall has been preaching for the last two seasons and you kind of have to flash back to last season to see that the 16 and 19 record everything was looking good and a lot of people were shocked that the Thunder were in that position this is after they've offloaded guys like Steven Adams Chris Paul was gone Danilo Gallinari was in Atlanta Dennis Schroeder was nowhere to be found this was pretty much the same team as last season. Um, however, they were afloat. And you start to see production from SGA. Al Horford was still there as a main contributor. And they were going tooth and nail with playoff teams. But once he was out with that injury, whole new identity. Identity crisis kicks in. Lou Dort is going to be there. As we know, later on in that season, he does get hurt. But Teo becomes your minute leader on that team. Alexei Pokushevsky starting sometimes. Josh Hall got to play the back end of the season pretty significantly, actually. Um, you had Moses Brown turn into the consistent starter, and he's putting up pretty good numbers relative to uh, what the expectation was for him. But yeah, they were just throwing a lot at the wall all at once and hoping something stuck. And, and you never had uh, the same team post-SGA injury. And luckily, the signs show that this is not going to take him out for the rest of the season. I would think after that reevaluation in February, you check, 
Maybe it's another couple weeks, tack on a month at most, uh, and then he should be good to go. But it's going to be a, a scare that probably takes him out one to two months. That's going to be my ballpark range on it. Now, do I have the cold hard evidence on it? No, I don't. Um, but I think the Thunder would rather play things safe with SGA, who's already dealt with a pretty severe foot injury, not even a year ago. I believe it was last March when he came down with a plantar fascia issue. So they didn't rush him into anything last season. He didn't play in the Summer Olympics. And this season shouldn't have any different course of action. This is a team that's still on that rebuilding trajectory. And they have a couple new young assets that I think could fill in and could really make an impact. And that's uh, the one pro you can really take out of the situation. You don't want to see SGA get hurt. But with that minute void, that's 30 plus minutes we're talking about here. There's a lot of people that are going to slip into those crevices and get opportunities they otherwise would have never had this season. And it could have completely changed their trajectory um, career-wise. I mean, seriously, in terms of contract, where they land or where they land in the rotation when SGA comes back, even if it is a small sample of just 10 games. So I want to break down the top options with SGA gone. Number one should be no surprise whatsoever. It is 19-year-old Josh Giddy, second youngest player in the NBA, youngest player in NBA history to log a triple-double, and he has looked very damn special this season. When you look at SGA, the thing that sticks out is the drives. He's led the last two seasons in this category, averaged a bit above 25 last year. He's around 24 right now. And the man below him is John Morant, who's only averaging 20 a game. So it kind of lets you know how big of a gap there is between one and two. Four drives per game is significant. So you got to find someone to take that pie up. Josh Giddy has been the, the number two man. Uh, really, on those drives, and he's been that secondary ball handler next to SGA the entire season. For rookies, he's the second leader in drives. Cade Cunningham has him by .3 drives. Cade has 12.5. Giddy has 12.2. But, you know, with SGA out, you gotta think that moves up a lot, where he's taken way more than Cade's 12.5, talk about 18 to 20 range, he's going to be that number one guy. And it's not just his decision-making that makes him that clear-cut number one option. He's able to get it done in multiple different ways. Cross-court passes, no-look passes, going off of a high ball screen and making those correct reads. It's easy with him. It just is second nature, some of the stuff he's able to do. And some people have argued that he's a naturally better passer than Shea is. And I'd argue he's the best passer in his draft class already. And when he has been the number one option with no SGA, he's put up the best numbers uh, arguably of the season for him. And he's only had three games where he's played and SGA is not, but let the numbers speak for themselves. Averages of 17 points nine rebounds, and 10 assists in 33.7 minutes. And what do you know? One of those three appearances pried that triple-double record away from the mellow ball, becoming the youngest player in NBA history to get a triple-double, came against the Dallas Mavericks on January 2nd. He trots out there, has 17 points, 
13 boards and 14 assists and he only had two turnovers in the conversation of that and that's pretty big the assist to turnover ratio has always been a a big part of Josh Giddy and even as that secondary guy, a lot of those do come with the ball in his hands where he's taking it in the half court and he's looking to make uh, those extra passes. So I think he's the most reliable option. He's also the option I think you'd want to capitalize in the most. He's been a starter already, just giving him um, better situations and letting him really control the offense for an extended amount of time is going to give you some serious data to work off of. And it's going to let you know uh, kind of what uh, to pick apart whenever SGA does come back. Just finding that sweet spot to where Giddy and SGA can coexist. And they most definitely have. Uh, that's not a concern for me. I think, sure, Giddy could become a better uh, catch and shoot guy. But also, hell, uh, SGA has been one of the worst shooters on the team this year. So it goes both ways. They both need to upgrade there. Uh, but just finding the sweet spot in terms of who should be handling. Should SGA be taking 24 drives per game, or should we be looking elsewhere? Because Giddy is able to find a lot of guys wide open from three. They got to convert on those though, and I'm sure SGA also is pretty damn capable of doing the same as well. But let's just say for this purpose, Josh Giddy's going to be that number one ball handler. When you look at that, uh, the remainder of the starters, I would bargain Lou Dort might be that secondary guy. Now, Baisley, he's always been chatted as being that secondary ball handler. I like him on the bench. I don't think they're going to change that with SGA out. So I'll say he he sticks to uh, the second unit, but definitely could see more of Lou taking it probably around that wing and trying to drive inside. Last season in particular, a lot of his slashes and a lot of his penetrations came off the corners. He would get it there. Uh, he would see if someone was sagging off. If they were, just pop that quick three. If he saw some wiggle room, just take it right inside. He'd get that half step or so on him. And uh, just due to his upper body strength, he can take him all the way and get a pretty good look around the basket. So I'll say for the starting unit, it's going to be Josh Giddy, Lou Dort. No real shocker uh, in that regard. But then you move to the secondary unit where things could get spicy. And for one of these players, they might actually get into the starting unit. That is first round pick Trey Mann. And he wasn't getting minutes consistently to begin the season. He was playing with the G League a little bit. He saw Jerome and Maladon pass the torch of minutes. But he's been good the last two months. Had over 20 minutes per game in the month of December. In January, pretty damn similar. 19 minutes per game and he's actually started a few games as well he has had three starts actually the last game against indiana he was listed as one of those starters so they're willing to see uh the growth plates with him see if they can juice anything out as a rookie and right now just like it is with everyone else that's your opportune time to do so and with trey man He's more than just like that ball handler type where he's looking to pass all the time. I think Trey Mann's actually reverse where passing's not his forte. Is he able to get crafty passes off? Certainly. But if he sees a semi-open shot at any level, he's going to probably opt to take that over a slightly better kickout. That's just how he is. He's a scorer at nature and a lot of the tricks in his bag 
uh, it's understandable why he's like that. You know, we've seen the between the legs, the backpedaling where it looks like his knee is about to touch the, the hardwood and it like it's inches shy. He's so damn athletic in that category and he's able to freeze up defenders really in a heartbeat. So he strings it up to where his step back is like James Harden level damn near. He's going to cook you up on there. Mid-range pull-ups are golden and I also really love his touch on the floaters. He's starting to take some bang-bang plays around the hoop too. So he'll drop double-digit points in six, seven minutes. I want to see more of that. You know, the the category of microwave guys has always been in tears for me. I think that everyone has heard it if you've listened to my pod for a little bit. But like, I'd say Jordan Clarkson's the ideal microwave scorer. The Jazz have a really good guy there where he can take over and be that number one option when needed. And he's very hard to stop when hot. With Trey Mann, he's had a few games where he's been the number one option on that bench unit. But once SGA comes in or once somebody else uh, comes in, He's back to just chilling in the wing, not doing anything. I think with SGA gone now, he will have the time where if he's hot with the secondary unit or if he's hot with the ones, Mark Dagnall's just going to let it ride. See what's going to happen with Trey Mann and potentially give him 20, 25 plus minutes in some of these games. He's had 20 plus uh, a lot, actually. The 25 minute threshold has been more of a rarity with him, but I think it could happen. And I think with the basketball, uh, just traveling so differently with Giddy at the helm instead of a guy like SGA, he'll get more opportunities to take shots, but we'll also get to see, is he going to be kicking out? Is he going to be playing off the ball as a catch-and-shoot guy next to someone like Giddy or, you know, vice versa, anything in between? Opportunities are kind of endless with man, and he's just such a special archetype that we have not seen through the Thunder system in quite some time. So I'm stoked to see what he's able to do there uh, just because of the build. 6-5, he can play the one or the two. He can play with the ones or the twos as well. And he can be a pretty lethal scorer uh, when he is given uh, some good shots. But moving beyond that tier where I think we all knew that Giddy and Man would benefit, I want to talk about the others. I want to talk about Ty Jerome. And I also would like to talk a little bit about Teo Maladone. Now with Ty Jerome, he's a little bit of a surprise positionally. I talked about Teo, talked about Ty, and he's locked up his spot. I don't think he's going to change in terms of his spot in the rotation. He's going to be that backup point guard. I'm more looking at the minutes, and I think he's going to move from where he's currently been, which is hovering around like 14-15 minutes per game, to being someone getting 20, 22 minutes a game like he was last season. And last season, he came into his own. He was averaging double digits for the grand portion of his sophomore season. The three-point shot seemed like it could not miss. And he was always going to be a guy who could give you 15 points. Really nice surprise after a G League stint where he looked impressive, but uh, not near as much as he did at the NBA level. It was a bit of an oddity because I would have taken Xavier Simpson over him myself, though, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. Like, they made the right call, of course. So he can hit threes, as we know. Also, just like Josh Giddy, the assist to turnover ratio is going to be great. And if you're looking for consistency, you would elect uh, to pick Ty Jerome over a Trey Man in terms of minutes. 
Potential-wise, though, Mann's going to blow him out of the park, and maybe even Teo Maladon would as well. Now, I think Teo's still number four out of this group, but it's still going to net him minutes, I believe, uh, because SGA is gone. And it's always been a four-guard rotation in Bricktown the last two seasons. If you're number five, you're just knocked out. You're either not playing or you're playing with the Oklahoma City Blue. That's what happened to Ty Jerome last season. Uh, despite the rehab, he still didn't really prove himself to have that spot yet. And Teo, he's been on that uphill battle. He's gotten to ground level. He played okay against the Pacers in their last contest. That was his first contest in three weeks with the Thunder. And I think now he'll still have those 10-minute samples where he'll get opportunities these next 10 games. And I really like the way he plays. I think the cross-court passes are beautiful with him. One of the top five, six passers in last year's draft class. Has that take gotten a little bit more stale as we progressed? Absolutely, it has. But last year, it seemed pretty legit. So I'll stand by it. I love him as a passer. The touch around the basket has been a bit of a disappointment. I feel like that's what he prided himself on in the Euro League and when he was playing with Asvel. Um, but you know, it is what it is. He's looked good uh, with a blue uh, with finishing and even from three. So it's just about unlocking himself and getting back to those levels. Whenever he was the minute leader, I don't think many people were complaining. Many thought that he'd actually be a very good player as a six man this year, but it has not uh, gotten that way. This is going to give him some wiggle room to perform. And for guys outside of just the point guards in the backcourt, I think Bays could benefit here. I don't know if Poku will be back, but if Poku does come back, I think that helps him out. And maybe you do some gymnastics to where you fully slide down a guy like Giddy to the one. Aaron Wiggins comes in and he gets minutes and maybe Isaiah Roby too could somehow wiggle in because he's been good with the OKC Blue for a while now. They just haven't let him play. They put Mike Muscala above him, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl has been the starter without any debate. So we'll see how they uh, deal with those situations. I will get you guys stories if anything changes, and I will get you guys the recap on the next game. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.